Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we're looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. Bing, bang, boom. I'm an American hero. Today, we are talking about Minute 49, which begins with Steve doubting himself and ends with Steve and a group of soldiers marching in front of a rear projection screen. Back on the show again, it's Jessica Plummer, contributing editor at Book Riot. Jessica, hello. Hello. I believe that uh, today and tomorrow, these are the reasons that you picked this set of minutes. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. I am so excited. <laughs> There's nothing like bringing some Alan Menken to uh, to Captain America, right? <sighs> he is a real American hero. <laughs> <laughs> Bing, bang, boom. Alan Menken. <laughs> all right. Well, Just before... <laughs> you guys all need to know, I'm going to do that a lot You're... during this minute. I mean, a lot. <laughs> you do it well. You do it as good as Martin T. Sherman, Brant's aide. In this film. Hey, bing, bang, boom. You just read the cast list. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so before we jump into the musical bit, which is, of course, just absolutely fantastic, let's just talk about the setup for this. Last minute, we only had a shot of Steve. We didn't know where he was. We didn't know what this promotion was. Now we really kind of get a little bit more of, stuff of what's going on here. We have Steve uh, behind the curtains and Brant's aide kind of pitching this whole thing to him. Steve's unsure and Brant's aide. It's, I mean, it's, again, politic talk right nothing to it you sell a few bonds bonds by bullets bullets kill nazis pete that's your cue bing bang boom you're an american hero <laughs> there it is and in the process of that we get we get a sense that we're behind the stage of something we see a showgirl kind of peek through the curtain to see what's going on when you see this setup for what we have going on here we're getting a sense as to what's about to come right we're getting a sense of exactly what this promotion is what is steve being asked to do here how does, I mean, does it, do you buy into all of this as far as like, oh, okay, this is exactly what a senator is going to have him do? Yeah, that they would make, that they would make a montage, musical montage minute about selling treasury bonds. Yes, that's exactly what I would expect a senator to do. I think it's, it's everyone's doing their thing for the war effort and uh, that Steve is, is nervous and embarrassed about it. He's such a patriot, but this is the time we see him visibly anxious about doing something new um i yeah i think this is exactly what this is exactly the moment we need for him to overcome yeah i mean like this is not a surprise i love musicals and i love 1940s movies and like i wouldn't have guessed we were going here but like as this is being queued up it's like oh okay yeah he's going on a uso tour like he's selling war bonds you know if you look at any pop culture from world war ii comics movies theater everything you will hear them telling you to buy war bonds so it does make total sense to me that that's what a politician would do with him and it doesn't put him in any danger right and what a gloriously subversive thing to do that's i was gonna say like to to make him a war hero to like back into making Captain America a war hero by first making him a celebrity is, I think, the the subversive thing about this set of minutes, that they're making him a household name, and then he gets to become a hero. So his, his like, it's his fame was already sealed before he did anything heroic. I have so many thoughts on that. Um, and I don't want to get too far ahead, 
but it's such an interesting conflation of like, like the use of propaganda, like Captain America was propaganda, like in the real world. Yeah. Captain America number one was propaganda and they reference that. I know it's after my minutes, but like they do reference that by actually showing a stack of the comics depicting a scene that they have enacted on stage that they are basing on the real con- like it's so recursive and it's so interesting because it i mean the movie mo- like it's it's a very sarcastic uh sequence this is a joke this is not actually captain america doing what he was meant to do but it's doing what he actually did do i just find that that ouroboros there to be really fascinating yeah it's I mean it, it's a really interesting use of the of the character in that capacity by putting him into this and it is it, like as you said uh in yesterday's or the minute before Pete where you know we're we're crossing the line we've left from kind of the first act and here we are kicking off the next act we need Steve to be in this place where he's still frustrated I mean this is him being depressed at the fact that I went through all of that and I did end up as Timmy and I am collecting scrap metal in my own special way. And you you can tell that it's, it's not exactly what he's wanting to do. Like he wanted to be on the front lines. And so there is this element of disappointment that he's doing this kind of embarrassment that he has to wear this, this ridiculous costume. And we will definitely talk about the costume. And, you know, this is what he, this is what it's come to is like this place where he is doing his part, but it's not doing his part the way that he envisioned it after going through everything that he went through. And that's what I find so interesting about him is like he goes through all this stuff. He's already defeated one Nazi. And now the senator uses his fame as the mystery man who saves New York from the Nazi to turn it into this USO tour to uh, sell more of these series E-bonds. It's uh, it's such a fascinating way to to play that in the script. And I, I don't know, I just love the way that the whole setup of this scene works and seeing him uh, donning this costume and becoming this is really the moment where he becomes Captain America for the first time in the film. And he has the the wings on the headpiece and it it's everything. It's it's everything we want. There is some weirdness about the shield. Where did this this particular shield is not the cap shield. Where did this one come from? This is the uh, the nod to the comics. This was kind of the, the uh, original. original. Yeah, this or exactly. This is the original shield from the comics. Um, they had to change it shortly after because it was, <laughs> I thought this was interesting. It was too close to the design of a superhero called the shield from the Archie comics. And it was that character, if you haven't seen him, is actually a shield with little tiny legs and little hands that stick out the side and big eyes right on the front. They call him the shield. But he's made of he's made of butter, so he's not very useful. <laughs> you're being nonsensical right now, but yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. He he, but his whole front looks like this shield. The the in the Pep comics, this is back in the Archie comics of the day. His whole front looks like this shield. I think he actually predates Captain America. He's the first sort of patriotic superhero. 1940 Pep Comics number one. Yeah, the shield. Yep. 1940. Well. They needed this shield because they needed enough space to tape all of Cap's lines on the back of it. <laughs> he couldn't be turning it so that no. he can't go the rest <laughs> of the speech. No, no rotating shields. That would be great, though, if, if he was just kind of spinning it as he talked. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yes, this is Shield Mark III and, uh, in the film. And uh, it is kind of fun to see that they actually did pull this design 
into the film. I really enjoy that. The Round Shield won't make its debut in the comics until Captain America comics number two. So it's a little bit of time. Ever since that debut of the Round Shield, that's the one that he's always had, um, except for that very brief period he had an electronic shield. Uh, but anyway, um, yes. So this is the shield that he is using. The costume is designed based on kind of that original Captain America look. I think it is kind of a genius uh, decision to say, you know what, let's use that original costume from the comics but in a campy way by putting it into the show because it feels like a show costume. How do you two uh, read this costume and how how it works in the context of the film? I mean, it, it's perfect. And it looks like, it actually looks a lot like the costume from the 1944 Captain America serials. Like there were actually Captain America movies. I mean, obviously those were black and white. I'm sure the costume had color in real life. Um, but it looks exactly like what a superhero costume would look like up until like not even just the 40s up until like 2000 yeah right like gosh even i mean maybe like spider-man would that but that be the first film that kind of said let's let's keep it but let's try to make it look not as ridiculous i think so that might be the first time Yeah, you're talking about raimi spider-man or the electric company yeah the raimi the, <laughs> the Raimi. I guess technically the uh, the Batman movies have a lot of rubber armor, not fabric. Yeah, but true. Actually, yeah, that's that probably would. I mean, Tim Burton and Batman. I think that would probably be the first time that they're like, you know, well, yeah. But even then, you could argue that he was pulling it more from just kind of the Frank Miller stuff. But still, I think. I think there is something to that. Like, let's make it look not like what we had before in the 60s TV show. Yeah. And even then, I mean, you look at like what Dean Cain was wearing on Lois and Clark and that's it's spandex, but it's just fabric. Like it would, they still weren't doing like weird textural stuff for somebody like Superman who doesn't need armor. So yeah, it really wasn't until this century that they were like, superheroes don't wear fabric. Yeah. Well, and now they just wear green dotted suits and then they digitally figure it out later. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this this outfit, like it, what one of the things that's so great about it as a USO outfit is that it really does feel like something that we've we've put together from fabric that from the right distance is going to look like something else, right? It is it is yet another sort of homage to the staged piece, and I think that's delightful, especially when he pulls his headpiece on, which is it conjures the idea of a helmet and mask, but it is fabric it is as fabric as my childhood halloween costumes like it it just fits over his head with a little support but it's crumply and i think that's i, I think that's great because from the audience when you're a kid in the front row it's going to look like the helmet it's going to look like the whole cowl absolutely they also have named him captain america we don't see it completely in this minute but you do see when he's doing the photo poses and the mom with the crying baby also, the I want you to buy war bonds like the 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 Captain America version of the I want you poster that we've talked about that he saw that drew him to the enlistment office. Now he is in his own version of the I want you poster. But also there is like buy war bonds and take a snap with cap. So, I mean, it is official. It, you know, they have decided Senator Brandt and his team said, let's call this guy something. How about Captain America? And I think that's really interesting that, uh, like, we've crossed that line, yeah. and this is officially now the guy. Um, and just so you know, according to the wiki, only a day has passed. 
Oh, Only Marvel a day is, wait a minute. This montage is a day? <laughs> no, no, no. From the time that he makes the decision, he, he makes the deal with the devil and Senator Brandt to the very first one is a day. That's like the next day. <laughs> it's the next day. Yeah, it's almost like Brandt has been ready and waiting with yeah. all of his materials for this. I, Let me just open my so, briefcase here. Bing, bang, boom, <laughs> you're Captain America. <laughs> so who wrote the song? Like, you could train showgirls real fast. I'm not worried about that. But who right. wrote the song? I know. It's, it's it's just ridiculous. Like the fact that they say it was a day. I just like, okay, this is where the wiki turns to garbage. They do give like the montage itself is basically from June 23rd all the way until uh, the end of November or sorry, end of October, uh, because by the time he's doing this show over in Italy, it's November 3rd. So at least we know, okay, so July, August, September, that's kind of this period. It still, it doesn't seem like a lot of time. Like, it seems like this is something he's probably doing for years, but no, it's apparently only about three months that he's uh, performing this. This is kind of our montage. I don't know. I love it. I don't know why I said I don't know who wrote the song, because it was definitely Irving Berlin. (laughs) It would have been Irving Berlin. At the time, absolutely. That's true. Absolutely. And Irving Berlin also probably wrote 300 other draft marches for propagandizing. So take your pick. We don't know (laughs) that this isn't a full two-hour show. Yes, that's absolutely right. Maybe there were multiple numbers. That's actually really interesting. That's Well, yeah, because what do you, I mean, I don't know. What is, what is typically in a USO show? Bob Hope. I was just going to say Bob Hope. It's like the entertainers. They come out, they do their yeah. shtick and Comedy. stuff. And so he would be the one, the one like sales. Well, I'm sure he's not the only sales pitch to buy war bonds, but this is probably his one bit. And other than maybe at the end, they all come out and do something together. But there's, yeah. I mean, he probably is just sitting around with Bob Hope. That's that's what I want <laughs> is is a Marvel one shot of kind of behind the scenes of one of these tours where he's hanging out with like Bob, Bob Hope, Hope and George Byrne, George and Gracie, George and Gracie. There yeah, actually is. It's not Captain America and it's not from the forties, but there is an early fantastic four comic where uh, they're broke and they get an offer to go to Hollywood and make a movie and they go to Hollywood and Bob Hope is on the lot and like <laughs> ogling them. Um, and then it turns out that Namor owns the studio and it was actually an elaborate death trap. It's a great issue. <laughs> of course he does. That is amazing. What else would the king of the oceans do? <laughs> in- invest in media. Surely that's going to be in Black Panther 2. I hope so. Oh, with wow. the little wings on his feet. The things <laughs> the things that he was up to behind the scenes that we just never knew. All right. Well, enough about kind of like the setup and everything. Let's talk about uh, the song and dance that we have going on here. So, Star Spangled Man. Jessica, kick us off about uh, this song. It's the best. Um, it's by Alan Menken and David Zippel. So Alan Menken is probably best known as the composer for pretty much the entire Disney Renaissance, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Hercules, Aladdin, just so many of the movies that we all grew up on and love. Um, Before that, um, he and Howard Ashman were best known for Little Shop of Horrors, um, one of the greatest now Broadway shows. It was off-Broadway in its original run, but it has finally made it to Broadway about uh, 15 years ago. Um, I saw it three times. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What else has he done? Um, 
He wrote the music for Newsies, another favorite. And for Gallivant, the sadly short-lived but absolutely wonderful um, musical TV show, which have either of you guys seen it? Because it, it's it's just everything that little 12-year-old me could ever have wanted. There's a knight <laughs> and a princess, and it is a parody of musicals, and it is just an absolute joy. Um, and then the lyrics are written by David Zippel, who collaborated with him. I mean, Mencken's best-known collaborator is Howard Ashman, who wrote Little Shop and Little Mermaid, um, Beauty and the Beast, and part of Aladdin with him before he passed away uh, from complications due to AIDS. Um, but the lyrics on this one are written by David Zippel, who also wrote Hercules with him. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of, like, when I looked that up, I was like, yeah, that, that checks out. That's correct. Yeah. He also is uh, he, he also is um, uh, behind some of the tracks on Enchanted with Stephen Schwartz, which I love, yes. and, and Tangled, another uh, Disney. The thing I love so much about him is that he was an eager recipient of a Razzie for, uh, uh, for one of the tracks from Newsies. And that does make him—he was already one of 17 EGOTs, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, but now he's a Regot. <laughs> which I adore. I just adore. I don't know how many of the 17 or all other 16 are also regots, but I was going to say, is he the only one? That's, that's it. That's, that's a big deal. That's a big I, deal. I would think that's a very limited club to be a regot. Yeah. Very small. How dare anybody insult newsies? <laughs> and he's, he has like he is on the record as like proudly accepting that award like he's he's just such a good natured guy and if you haven't seen it uh npr's tiny desk concert did a tiny desk concert uh i want to say a year ago or now maybe probably more because it was uh, during the pandemic but they did a tiny desk concert with the principal cast and a few chorus members from the Broadway show of uh, Little Shop. And he got up and introduced every track like they were about to sing for this Tiny Desk concert. And it was everything. It was just perfect and intimate. And he got to tell these just crazy off the dome. Like you can tell he just there are so many words in his head and he can't get them all out to say what he wants to feel about this thing being on Broadway. Uh, he is a beautiful, beautiful man and an incredible talent and such a gift. Um, so to hear that he is the music and Zippel, the lyrics behind this awesome beat in this movie is uh, is an underappreciated, uh, I think, gift to Marvel that many people who watch this don't know probably just how great they are. I mean, I think that's that's almost part of the gift, because one thing that Mencken is so great at is pastiche and emulating different styles of music. Um, so you see that in Little Shop, which has so much like early rock and roll and Motown and doo-wop. And you see that in um, The Little Mermaid with the Calypso music. And like, obviously like Alan Menken is white, I'm white. Like I'm not here to say that he produces authentic Calypso music, but it's certainly to at least most mainstream white audiences who aren't familiar with it would seem like, yeah, okay, it evokes the feeling it's meant to evoke. Um, there's the gospel music in Hercules and the the turn of the century songs that, um, not all of them, but some of the music in Newsies. And so when you're looking around for a guy who's going to compose something that really feels like something out of Yankee Doodle Dandy for Captain America, like it's got to be Alan Menken. Like yeah, he's the guy. For sure. Do you have a favorite Alan Menken, like from everything he's done, do you have like a favorite 
track? I have so many, but at the end of the day, the first movie I ever saw in theaters was The Little Mermaid mm. when I was five. So it's got to be part of your world. Like, I, I, I can't, I can't, like, it, it's, that's it. But I mean, there, there's so many, there's so many. I mean, I mean, look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Wouldn't you think I'm a girl? It's so funny. I So I played piano and I go in and I all the windows are open. It's a hot day. And the first song that I always play is part of your world. <laughs> I don't know why. My fingers just need to play that song. And all the neighborhood kids think I'm such a sap because I play this like 35-year-old <laughs> Disney tune whenever I sit out at the piano. I cannot help it. I can't help it, Alan Menken. It's, oh, it's so, so beautiful good. although it's funny because he and ashman didn't actually think it was all that good and uh they were basically like this is a ripoff of somewhere that's green from little shop yeah. and they called it somewhere that's wet right, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's hilarious uh, my if i were to pick i mean i absolutely agree little mermaid is like all of the songs in that just are uh, perfect they're perfect songs but my favorite track that I go to, and just because like it puts me in like a really powerful emotional place in context of the film and like what they're doing with it, which is uh, it, it's a very big emotional kind of core moment of the movie. It's in Hunchback, which I know a lot of people mm. it's not like their favorite movie and stuff, but the music is uh, just insane. It's just insanely awesome. And when and the performance of Sanctuary in that, which yeah. is when yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're getting ready to uh, to burn Esmeralda and and uh, Quasimodo swings down, picks her up, swings back up and he raises her over his head and screams Sanctuary a few times. Holy cow. The music in that just like sends shivers down my spine. It's just it's just powerful and amazing what that man does. Well, uh, and, and I would say I would add to that from from Hunchback too. just it, it, the Hunchback is one of those really kind of remarkable pieces because it is so broad in in conjuring, not just sort of the stuff that you would like love and kindness and find goodness in your heart and all this, but also like lust and yeah. uh, rage and fear and in conjuring the inner demon of um, uh, Ma what's his name? Volio. Judge Claude Frollo. Judge, Judge Cla Claude Frollo. Like when he does the bit with the dancing fire and he's yeah. like, mm -hmm. he's talking about his like curse, his lust is uh, one of the one of the very best. And, and it feels to me like like it comes from such a dark and authentic place to, to end up in this particular film um, and, and score is, is uh, oof, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I feel like the later Disney Renaissance movies were almost Mencken being like, yeah, I'm showing off now. Yeah. Like yeah. there is, there is a confidence <laughs> to them. Taking a lap, right? Like, yeah, like we're doing fine. So let's just see what we can do. Let's play a little bit. Mm hmm. And it's frustrating to me that because they were doing that and they were pushing limits and boundaries that it kind of ended the Disney Renaissance and they ended up kind of shifting gears and uh, and he disappeared from so much of their work after that, which is so disappointing. I mean, I'm thrilled that he ended up doing stuff like Enchanted and Tangled. Uh, you know, he still had to do stuff. And I will say the song in Sausage Party is pretty funny. It's he pretty did, funny. <laughs> pretty good job with that. So, I mean, I, I'm, I love what he does. And yeah, he's, he's a guy who just, I think, is endlessly creative. And I'm always excited anytime there's a chance to talk about him. And I think, in going back to this film, what he's doing here is just, I mean, it's so fun. And it's just like, he knows how to write lyrics for this sort of thing. I and mean, it's exactly 
what they would do. Just just to go through the lyrics, the dancing girls, who's strong and brave here to save the American way, who vows to fight like a man for what's right night and day, who will campaign door to door for America, carry the flag shore to shore for America from Hoboken to Spokane, the star spangled man with a plan. I mean, it's just it fits like it's so 40s. It works so brilliantly. It's like I feel like when I hear this. It's something that was from the forties. It just doesn't even strike me that it came from a person yeah. today. That's I mean, that's how that's how talented he is. Although I will say the lyrics are zippel. They aren't Mencken. Well, yeah, oh that's true. That's true. You're right. But the, yeah, and they're they're working together in context of it. Yes, you're yeah, right. Yeah. But yeah. My my favorite is the it's in the last verse, but um who waked the giant that napped in America? We know it's no one but Captain America. Like you just, you know, Zippo wrote that down, and then he just like pushed his chair back and was yeah. like, mm, "I've done it. That's me for yeah. the day." <laughs> so good. And is that you know? So I mean, we don't get to hear uh, the whole song in our minutes together, but I think that may be the first time. That Captain America said in the film, I guess we'll have to see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see when we get be. to that. Yeah. Interesting. Minute yeah. 49, 50, 51. Hmm. Uh, it's, after, it's after this. Yeah. I will say, I, there is a thing that actually annoys me about the lyrics in this song, which is the rhyme scheme changes. So it goes, the like the lines that you just said, who's strong and brave here to save the American way? Who vows to fight like a man for what's right? Like the the rhyme emphasis changes. Right. It should be who vows to fight for what's right. Like a man night and day, yeah. And it moves around a few times. And every time I'm like, Dave, <laughs> put it back. <laughs> it still works, but it does, it does drive me a little bit crazy. That's that's actually interesting. And and I am never quite astute enough with like songs and lyrics to like pinpoint those sorts of things but i see as soon as you say it i'm like oh right he totally does do that i wonder if that's a thing that is just like is that a zippel thing is that a zippelism or is that something like was he trying to do like what a composer would have done in the 40s and i'm just not as uh, uh as tuned into some of those sorts of songs from the 40s to know if they were doing that sort of uh changing those things around in lyrics do you know i feel like they were much stricter about like sticking to the rhymes like Back, like Irving Berlin was not going to be rhyming crazy and baby. Those words don't rhyme. He wasn't going to do that. Like <laughs> they were, they, if it was a rhyme, it was going to be a real rhyme. So I don't know. I mean, in some cases, like it, it like you kind of have to, to make the sentence make sense. Like in the next verse, we can't ignore there's a threat and a war we must win. Who will hang a noose on the goose stepping goons from Berlin, but you can't switch any of those words and make right. the sentences coherent. Um, right, and it, right. it's like it's it's in the background. Like I'm being nitpicky here, but but now it's the only thing I can hear. So let's go ahead <laughs> and nitpick a little bit because it's it's uh, uh, who's strong and brave here to save the American. Here to save the American. They want that to line up with like a man for what's right night end. Who's strong and brave? That's what it is. Yeah, who's strong? And, I'm getting rid of that. And I'm getting rid of the first four <laughs> words of each one. Who's strong and brave and who vows to fight? Get rid of those because they line up fine, right? Well, but no, it's it's but that's the rhyme, though. Who's strong and brave here to save? Right. And I don't care about that. But that's but that's the rhyme. Who's strong and brave here to save? And then the next one, who vows to fight like a man? That doesn't ring. 
No, it doesn't rhyme. But I'm just saying the meter changes. Like the it oh, expects the it yeah. demands something else of the meter. I don't care about the rhyme because it makes you lock in American with what's right night end, and that to my ear has never made complete sense. Right? Because it because they don't even sing it the way it should be performed if you want it to actually be syllabically aligned. So that's my problem with it. Which is a different problem. But it's still problematic. Zipple. Working with Mencken, you gotta get your get your lines straight. You didn't do this in Hercules. Right. <laughs> well and the song in Hercules that is like the the parallel to this is zero to hero. And that one's mm-hmm. perfect. Like absolutely yeah. flawless. Um but what's interesting to me is that they do narratively they like they're completely different genres of music but narratively they do the exact same thing like presenting it's a montage that shows the public accepting this character and also exposing the essential hollowness of fame and that it is not the same thing as true heroism like functionally they're the same song what's so what's the challenge then with this one is it is it trying to squeeze it into a 40s feel to that that would have given them some of the struggles that that are throwing all the stuff off that that are driving you two nuts (laughs) well yeah and maybe that's just it like i i don't listen to a lot of 40s propaganda marches um (laughs) but (laughs) day to day uh and it and it does feel like maybe authentically so it feels like it wasn't necessarily uh, it, maybe it was written, composed by, you know, musicians of the time, but the lyrics feel manipulated by the ad people. And that's that's probably what they're going for. Right. Like that's I probably would have had the same complaint if I was sitting in the audience at one of these USO tours. Like, <laughs> oh, an ad guy wrote that. I mean, it does create that sense of something's not quite right here. Yeah. Also, as we discussed, this song was written in a day. That's true. You know what? <laughs> there it is. There's the no prize right there. <laughs> they had very yeah. little time. They're like, you know what? The rhymes are close enough. The meter's close enough. Let's not worry about it. <laughs> the setup of this scene, we have this stage, just uh, as a note, this theater that they're performing in, it is the Hackney Empire Theater. This is the exact same theater where we see Rogers uh, watching the newsreel earlier in the film. And all of the sets that we're going to see over the course of this montage, they're all in the exact same space. They do a great job of modifying it each time to feel bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what I really enjoy about this montage is at this first one that we see, Steve feels unprepared. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's reading off of the notes on the back of the shield. There aren't quite as many dancing girls. I think I counted for this first one that there were um, 19 girls and it's just going to get bigger and bigger. We're going to get drummers. We're going to get all sorts of stuff that we, uh, as we expand it, bigger sets and everything. But for this, for the start, it's, it's smaller. And I like the way that it feels like over the course of this montage, this is growing. This is showing us the growing popularity of this new character that Senator Brandt has kind of created to help sell series E defense bonds. Uh, I mean, how does, how does it work for you two as far as like what we're seeing in the scope of all of this? I mean, it's definitely, it's an, a very effective. It's definitely a musical theater trope. It reminds me a little bit of the um, Broadway melody in Singing in the Rain as we see like Gene Kelly and his uh, dancing girls kind of transition from sort of scrappy burlesque dancers to um, more polished vaudeville to very glamorous like Follies dancers. 
it's got that same sort of transition. I also am just always really charmed by Chris Evans pretending he doesn't like musicals and doesn't know what's going on when like the guy, his mother, like I think owns a dance studio. Like all of the kids grew up tap dancing. He loves musicals. Like he's been desperately campaigning to be in musicals. He's actually going to be in the little shop movie. Isn't he? He's the dentist. Is he really? I hadn't heard. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited for that. And when you say the little shop movie, you mean the new little shop movie. Cause let's not forget the how new, great yeah, they're not, they're not putting, him- we already have one and it's perfect, but yes, right. They're not going back and CGIing Steve Martin out of it. No, they're making a new one. <laughs> At least that was the last that I heard. I hope they're still making it. Um, but yeah, like I, I am charmed by him being befuddled by all of this when between takes, he was probably doing time steps with the girls. I love that about him. I love to think that he's actually you know doing that and it, like he's really into it. That's great. You can there's there's actually a clip of him literally doing time steps between takes on the set of the first Avengers movie. That makes me a little sad that uh, the character is gone and that we could have potentially had him um, decide, you know what, I'm done with this fighting stuff. I am actually going to go perform on Broadway. We could have had Clint watching Steve actually performing on Broadway. That could have been his retirement. Maybe that's what he does instead. And when they watch old 40s movies, they're like, that's Steve. Yeah, (laughs) I'd buy that. I love it. Uh, well, it is. I mean, there's there's so much greatness going on with this minute. Steve, these dancing girls, I, you know, there are I should just say we generally are calling out actors and stuff. There are so many, though. We have so many um, of these USO dancers credited. Um, Jennifer, I'll just read through the names just because I love reading people's names just so we have done it. Jennifer Abbott's Michelle Antrobus, Lucy Dean, Aaron Dusek, Nicole Evans, Lizzie Franklin, Emma Harris, Rachel Isherwood, Danielle Kelly, Nicole May, Stevie Jean McGuire, Anna McNicholas, Rosie Petulus, Jessica Powell, Ray Quarterly, Sarah Riches, Holly Roston, Caroline Royce, Stephanie Jane Thompson, and Lucy Woe. Those are our USO dancers that we see through this. Um, the question is, and I doubt it, if any of them are actually also the singers. Oh, I don't know about that. Probably not. I wouldn't think so. I would think that Alan Menken and uh, Zippel have some women that they're just doing this, and men later, uh, kind of just doing the whole thing, and all of these people are just kind of lip syncing on stage. That would be my guess. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. Um, all right. Well, uh, I don't have anything else for this minute. Do either of you have any last little thoughts? I just love it so much. <laughs> just glad there's one more minute ahead of us. It's so great. I do love that we do have the kind of the montage bits. We've got Steve and the baby, you know, politicians and babies. And this is Brant's opportunity to have Steve kind of holding a baby. And uh, and then, of course, Brant. Uh, gets his photo opportunity and we end with uh, you know we'll talk more about this in tomorrow's minute but we end with Steve and a group of soldiers in a shot that we, we should keep in our heads Pete because it might be something similar later in the film but we do see Steve and a group of soldiers marching through a forest and that's how this minute ends I wonder what comes next I wonder I wonder All right. Uh, Well, Jessica, remind everybody again where they can uh, find out more about you and what you're up to online. Um, You can find me 
on Twitter at Jess underscore Plummer. And I am a contributing editor over at Book Riot, where I write about comics and when I can get away with it, musicals. And musicals. Have you had a chance to write about many musicals? Not often, but I, I work them in as much as humanly possible. And I, <laughs> I, have, I have plans. I have plans for a, uh, a piece on comics that were turned into musicals. How many have there been? There have been, I mean, especially if you look at not just superheroes, like the big obvious superhero one is Spider-Man. Um, but <laughs> I thought we were are... told to forget that immediately. <laughs> and there was the Superman musical from the 70s. Um, oh. oh, yes. It's a bird. Oh. It's a plane. It's Superman. <laughs> oh, musical. My wow. oh, my gosh. It's no idea. Not very good. But there is a filmed version of the stage production. And I highly recommend tracking it down because it's an amazing artifact but also like annie right annie oh sure god of course yeah 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 i i i so lose track of things like that that were that came Mm -hmm. from comics but absolutely yeah little orphan annie and fun home and what fun home fun home by allison beckdale yeah it's a graphic memoir about um her father's dark about her father's suicide and both of their like coming out journeys um and it was turned into a musical and it won a bunch of tonys really wow Mm -hmm. and you could read it right there in the funny papers (laughs) (laughs) well uh let us know when when you uh, get to write that because i can't wait to to read more about it it sounds exciting definitely will do All right. Well, that's it for Minute 49. We'll be back tomorrow to wrap up the week, talk about Minute 50. So, Pete, thanks as always. From Hoboken to Spokane, Andy. Hoboken to Spokane. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.